W233AH Monticello. From the WJFF studios in Liberty, New York, this is Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. It's Friday, and oh, Dan Hoost, the communications director from Sullivan County Government, isn't here. He's on holiday. So today we have Cat Scott, District 5 legislator, sitting in. We'll talk about the resiliency plan that was presented yesterday by the Metropolitan Urban Design Workshop at the legislature's meeting and Sullivan County's water resources. Women in business. Michelle Frigoletto is who we speak to today. You might know her better as Mick of Mick's Barbershop in Honesdale. And someone in her family has been cutting hair on Main Street in Honesdale since 1890. We'll talk to her about carrying on the traditions of the barbershop and her positive outlook while living with metastatic cancer. And we're off to see the wizard while we're in Honesdale. Honesdale High School presenting the Wizard of Oz. We'll follow the Yellow Brick Road and speak to the show's director. There's no place like Honesdale. There's no place like Honesdale. First, the news. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Corva Coleman. The International Court of Justice has found that it is plausible Israel has committed acts of genocide in Gaza, but the court did not order a ceasefire in the enclave. NPR's Ada Peralta reports Israel continues to dismiss the allegations. The International Court of Justice says some of the allegations of genocide and war crimes made by South Africa are plausible. While it did not rule on the charges of genocide because that proceeding could take years to advance, the court did order Israel to prevent and punish any incitement and to abide by international law against genocide. The court did not order a ceasefire in the current war. In a statement, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said charges of genocide against Israel were, quote, false and outrageous, and he vowed to continue the war in Gaza. Even as Hamas uses civilians as human shields, we will continue to do what is necessary to defend our country and defend our people. The Palestinian Authority, for its part, welcomed the ruling, saying, quote, no state is above the law. Ada Pralta, NPR News, Tel Aviv. The Pentagon says there's been another attack on a U.S. Navy ship sailing in the Gulf of Aden, that's near the Red Sea. U.S. Central Command says Iranian-backed Houthi rebels fired a ballistic missile from Yemen toward the USS Kearney. CENTCOM says the Kearney successfully shot down the missile and there were no injuries or damage. The Yemeni rebels say they are attacking ships to support Hamas in its war against Israel. Stocks opened mixed this morning as the Commerce Department reported a slowdown in inflation last month. NPR Scott Horsley reports the Dow Jones Industrial Average rose about 20 points in early trading. Consumer prices in December were up 2.6 percent from a year ago, according to the Commerce Department's inflation yardstick, which is closely watched by the Federal Reserve. Stripping out food and energy prices, so-called core inflation was 2.9 percent for the 12 months ending in December. That's down from 3.2 percent the month before. Inflation continues to cool, even though consumers are spending freely. Personal spending rose by seven-tenths of a percent last month, as people spent more money on both goods and services. Spending grew more than twice as fast as incomes in December, while the share of disposable income that people sock away in savings fell. Scott Horsley, NPR News, Washington. Parts of the South have gotten extremely powerful storms this week. That's meant excessive rain from Texas to Mississippi, including some flash flooding. There will be more storms in the region today. National Weather Service lead forecaster Bob Oravec says one or two inches of rain are possible through tomorrow. After that, however, it looks like we're going to be going into a drier pattern. 
So there's definitely some relief in sight for areas across the south that have had some very heavy rains recently. Today's rain could fall farther east into Tennessee. Stocks remain mixed on Wall Street. The Dow is now up 22 points. The Nasdaq has fallen more than 35. This is NPR. The FAA says some troubled Boeing airplanes can return to service if they have been thoroughly inspected. These are the Boeing 737 MAX 9 jets. A door plug on one of these models blew off in flight this month. Alaska Airlines says it'll start using these planes again as soon as today if they have passed inspection. The Biden administration will pause permit decisions on new natural gas export facilities. It's reevaluating if the plants are in the public's interest and how they contribute to climate change. From member station WWNO, Hallie Parker reports. After months of pressure from climate activists, the U.S. Department of Energy will suspend decisions on proposals for new natural gas export plants as it reviews whether these facilities are still in the public's interest. The country has rapidly expanded its capacity to export gas, and the U.S. is now the world's largest gas exporter. But each plant emits millions of tons of planet-warming gases each year. National Climate Advisor Ali Zaidi says the decision shows the president's commitment to tackling climate change. In this case, his administration is showing we are unafraid to follow the facts. The Biden administration says the pause won't halt existing gas exports or plants currently under construction. For NPR News, I'm Hallie Parker in New Orleans. NBA star LeBron James of the Los Angeles Lakers has been named to the NBA's All-Star team. This is a record. James is making his 20th NBA All-Star appearance as a starter. He'll be the captain of the Western Conference team. The All-Star game is February 18th. This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Kauffman Foundation providing access to opportunities that help people achieve financial stability, upward mobility, and economic prosperity, regardless of race, gender, or geography. Kaufman.org. Welcome back to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. It's Friday, and usually we hear from Dan Hoost, the Communications Director of Sullivan County Government, but... He gets to have a vacation just like everybody else, so he's away and filling in today. We have from Sullivan County Government, District 5 Legislator Kat Scott. Good morning. Good morning, Tim. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being the substitute teacher today. Uh, my my pleasure. <laughs> I, I don't think I can fill Dan's shoes, but I'm going to give it my best try. Who can, really? I know. <laughs> that Dan Hoost, he's great. So you're newly uh, installed in the legislature. How's it going? It's it's going well. You guys have just had a few meetings. You've had a lot of committee meetings, and there was a, uh, a legislature meeting and an executive committee meeting yesterday. We'll talk about some of that stuff. But uh, how's it going so far, the first few weeks into it? Um, it's going well. You know, we have our first month of uh, meetings under our belt. Um, it's a lot to learn to come into, but I'm up to the challenge. And 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 frankly, I'm, I've been enjoying learning more about how our our county government runs and and looking at under the hood and kicking the tires a little bit. So it's been good. Let's remind folks, District 5 includes which, which towns in Sullivan County? So I have the pleasure of representing the town of Fremont, the town of Delaware, town of Keshecton, town of Tustin, and most of the town of Calicoon. 
And in these initial meetings, these legislature meetings that you're having, um, and Dan has described this to us uh, when he's been here the last few weeks, is sort of legislature 101, uh, the different uh, departments, different areas of government coming in and talking to the new legislature. What are some of the things you've been learning? Yeah, it's been wonderful how the commissioners and department heads have come in to each committee um, that, um, you know, that represents what they're working on. And they're providing us with a little 101, like what their mission is, what they're working on and what they do. And, um, you know, it's been really interesting. Uh, during the, I'm the chair of health and human services. I got to meet the, um, the new, I mean, director of community services. Now here I am, maybe not getting the title right. <laughs> we'll get the title. But, but, you know, we have somebody new working here with the county and, um, and he was there and I was able to, you know, welcome him and, and he provided us with some, you know, information and goals and, and it was just really nice. So, um, it's been, and, and I actually love that, um, that these folks are able to come to these meetings and not just tell us, but hopefully the people that are watching our meetings because they're, um, live broadcast on the county website and the videos are there for anyone to access afterwards. So anyone out there who's interested in learning more, please go to SullivanNY.us, uh, look under the legislature, um, agendas and videos and you can watch them and see what your county government's doing for you and the, some of the faces that are doing it. I noticed uh, when I looked on the website uh, or actually I, when I was clicking on something, I forget where it was, to look at the legislature's meeting yesterday, there was a comment that said, looks peaceful. <laughs> have, you, have you experienced that? And have you kind of uh, found a sense of camaraderie, even though you guys are all new? Yes. Um, I, I believe that all nine of us have a goal of participating in meetings with decorum and respect. We don't all agree on things. And I'm not going to tell you that when we're behind closed doors that sometimes things don't get a little heated, but that's because we're all passionate about our community. But yes, we all have the same goal, and that is to serve our constituents with respect and decorum. Let's talk about some of the uh, things that came up yesterday during the legislature meeting. Uh, there was a presentation from the Metropolitan Urban Design Workshop, a resiliency plan. What's that all about? Yes. So resiliency planning is a process that communities can undertake to identify potential hazards and threats and then establish um, adaptations and mitigations and recovery plans. So when you start thinking about that, and especially in this ever-changing world that sometimes can be quite hostile towards us, and those of us here in Sullivan County can understand that in the context of flooding, right? We've seen a lot of flooding over the last 20 years, but there's other issues that are that are coming up. So a resiliency plan allows us to look at the potential threats and then how we can mitigate those so that we can um, really the goal is to ensure that key infrastructure systems continue operating or quickly begin providing service again. So yesterday, Heather Brown, who is the commissioner of planning, um, she really described resiliency. Um, she actually defined it, right? So resiliency is the ability to withstand, recover from damaging economic, environmental, and climate events, and to learn from these challenges and to build on the strengths as we prepare for the challenges moving forward. That is a direct quote from Heather. Mm -hmm. You know, that's another thing is we have very smart, dedicated people working for us. Um, and so the three 
key areas that they were looking was community. Um, and again, I'm quoting Heather, how we can improve access to critical resources and services for all communities, especially our vulnerable communities. They looked at the economy. How can we improve financial, social, and physical infrastructure to anticipate potential upheavals and ensure sustainable livelihood an opportunity for county residents. And then finally, the environment, um, how we can support the natural systems and man-made infrastructure that provide critical services and protect county citizens in an era of extreme weather risks and vulnerability. So, um, you know, and again, if you tune into that video, which is available on our website, you're going to see Heather say those exact things. I, you know, wanted to make sure that I quoted her ac- accurately because she has so much information on this and, you know, she's one of those people that, you know, I'm glad that she's helped steering some of this. And the presentation was really very good. There's a website that anyone who wants to, you can go to resilientsullivan.com. And what you're going to find there is you're going to find some of the scope of the project and you can download the presentation that they gave us yesterday. Yeah, it's a 36 page uh, presentation. And some of the things that uh, they talked about some of the emerging emerging themes out of this. So, well, first of all, the, the, they talk about how they went uh, and uh, went through the methodology of all of this, and were talking to different residents and stakeholders. Yes. They were out in the community talking to the metropolitan uh, urban design folks. Were out talking, and then there's a you know some preliminary draft uh, engagement. Uh, uh, options and themes that came up. So can we talk a little bit about like some of those that yes. they talked about? Like, first of all, housing, housing, housing is a big issue. And, um, you know, we just got through a campaign uh, cycle last year and many of us were talking about housing because it's a real issue here. Um, availability and affordability are a problem. Um, we have aging and limiting housing stock um, that further impacts um, and, and have, that further impacts and access, especially for vulnerable populations. Mm -hmm. So this was a very thorough kind of study. And by the way, there's going to be more public interactions on this. Um, So, and I plan on being in any of the events that are happening in my district so that I'm available for constituents to speak to, but you know, we are having a housing problem and I don't think this is a surprise to anyone out there. Right. But they also then come up with some recommendations. Right. So uh, ensuring housing availability and affordability by supporting strategic growth. And then there's some strategies about that uh, to support that expanding affordable housing projects, addressing blighted properties, uh, expanding the RUPCO partnership to seek out more funding to support that. Build and renovate the uh, to living, building, or enterprise green standards for health and climate's resiliency, improve neighborhood amenities for safe outdoor activities and walking. So there looks like there are some some goals and some strategies here, uh, but it also points out that there are you know some issues. There's a high uh, burden of housing for uh, folks in the county as well. Yes. And I want to get back to um, one of their strategies, which is to improve neighborhood amenities for safe outdoor activities and walking. And this was something that Sullivan Renaissance talked about years ago. Walkability, right? The ability for people to safely walk amongst their community or bike correlates with the health of a community. And one of the things that we know is that Sullivan County, we we need to have better health outcomes, right? Our health rankings aren't so great. So we see these common themes, right? It's housing and health. So, you know, when if we start improving some of these things, we're going to see improvement in other areas, right? So it's a mul- it's a multiple 
bird approach with one stone. Um, but yeah, they, they do have these recommendations and there will be more recommendations coming out within the next six, 60 to 90 days. This is a fluid, um, living document. So it's, there's, it's going to continue to be fleshed out more. Do you want to go back a little bit though on housing in the, the sense that like the burden that it places on people and also the ability to, uh, attract employees and, and labor retention. And if folks don't have a place, to live, they're not going to have a place to go walk. Uh, so, right. you know, what are some of the like really strategic, concrete goals that they're they're looking for, or strategies to reach that goal? Well, we're looking we're to still trying see... to crack that nut. Yeah, no, we are. I mean, you know, what's interesting is we're in like this kind of cycle, right? And it's hard to jump into a cycle to address things because you have to have a multifaceted approach. Um, we need to have housing for people for certain, uh, you know, to, to attract people for jobs. Um, we need to have certain economic development to attract people to these jobs, you know. So how do you do this all at the same time? We have a land bank, um, which I think is a really great project and they have been working on properties in Monticello and Liberty, I believe. Um, we are looking for at um we've had a couple of a developer come approach i believe uh, our chair nadia reich and um district one uh, legislator matt mcphillips have had a meeting with them and i'm not sure i think maybe it was with the i'm not sure who they they met with somebody else through the the county um and so you know we're looking at different ways that we can that we can work on this, you know, uh, and I don't want to be the bad guy here, but we're also looking at the impact of short-term rentals, um, which is hard because, you know, and that's one of the things they talked about yesterday is it's hard for people who own property who can get in one month what they would usually get in 12 months if they had a long-term renter. And how do you say to folks that, you no, know, you can't use your property for what you want to use your property for, but at the same time, there's other impacts within the community um, on how this, because the, the it's not balanced, right? The pendulum kind of really swung the other way when COVID was happening. We had a lot of people who took their property and turn them into these short-term rentals. And um, it took inventory off of the market for you know people looking for rentals. And it also affected some of our housing prices as well. So, you know, there's there's a lot of things that we have to look at. I wish there was a magic bullet. I wish I could tell you there is one one, you know, magic answer, but often in life that is not the case. <laughs> and what we have to do is we have to look at this problem and and look at the multifaceted way that we can approach fixing it. Uh, it's it's a nickel and dime fix, right? You just have to look at all the little things and fix them as you move forward. Well, it's a well laid out uh, draft, I would say as yes. well. And it's it's I, I again, there these are huge issues. These are issues that have been around for a long time. Yes, it's good. I think just seeing this for the first time, uh, like you're the, the, the you're tackling it. Uh, then how can we tackle it? Uh, and you're laying out or they're laying out for the county ways to do this. They, they do this with, um, you know, issues and opportunities. They talk about those. They talk about the challenges. They talk about the goals and the strategies. Um, <clears throat> one of the other areas that's tackled is farming and farmland and, uh, you know, issues and opportunities that uh, even though many municipalities in Sullivan County maintain right to farm laws, dairy and beef farms who were traditionally the focus of local farm production are in long term decline. Decline. Uh, the third point of one of the challenges they mentioned, invasive species. That's yes. a very big issue in the area, an aging workforce and lack of succession planning. And then though they do go into like some goals and strategies there, 
uh, to uh, ensure the economic viability of farmland cons- conservation um, with, uh, you know, uh, expanding farm apprenticeships, promoting and supporting succession plans, uh, addressing the housing needs of beginning farmers and farm workers. That's yes. all tied back together. Uh, create conservation easements. So, again, uh, all of this coming together and and not uh, expecting a, a magic bullet, as we said before, to solve everything, but at least it's getting discussed. Right. And you're always going to hear me promote farming. You're always going to hear me be very protective of farming. I grew up here and at the time we had so many more farms and, and as a kid, we would actually go to the farm to get our milk. We would go to the farm to get our eggs and, um, you know, not to paint an overly wholesome picture of it, but, um, the farmers of this community, the generations of farmers of this community, help build this community. And some of these folks, um, their grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren are here struggling to survive. And um, one of the things about farmers is that farmers help support and sustain main streets because farmers shop locally, right? So having healthy farms supports healthy communities economically. You know, we have um, historically, we have these two big drivers for um, our economy, farming and tourism, and they both rely on us having a beautiful countryside, supporting and sustaining our local economy. So again, you know, their recommendations about natural resources and infrastructure as it relates to the tourism industry also applies to farming. Um, you know, people would come here, like Apple Pond Farm, um, I remember years ago sending folks, always, people would say to me, what's there to do here? Go to Apple Pond Farm. Go see how a working farm works. Um, and so, I, you know, I was really, um, I, I was really happy to see that they had fleshed out so much for our farmers. If you're just joining us, we're speaking to Kat Scott, uh, District 5 Legislature for Sullivan County Government. Uh, she's filling in for Dan Hoost, who's the Communications Director for Sullivan County Government, who's away this week. And we're talking about a resiliency plan that was presented yesterday to the legislature from Metropolitan Urban Design Workshop. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this plan uh, and some other things uh, that you guys have been uh, dealing with. Uh, just, you know, in your first few weeks, it's a lot. <laughs> this is Radio Chatska. Radio Catskill supporters include Sullivan Catskills Visitors Association, SullivanCatskills.com, Catskill Brewery, brewing ales, lagers, and mixed fermentation beers in a LEED Gold certified building, plus a food truck and beer garden at exit 96 off Route 17 in Livingston Manor, CatskillBrewery.com, and listeners like you who donate at WJFFRadio.org. Thank you for all the ways you help WJFF Radio Catskill. Your support sustains the news, music, and local voices that make up WJFF. It's only possible because of your generosity. Help keep it going. Consider signing up to be a sound supporter to make sure Radio Catskill has your constant support. Go to WJFFRadio.org. And thank you for supporting public radio in the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. You're listening to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. It's Friday. We usually check in with Diane Hoos from Sullivan County Government. He's away on a nice and well-deserved holiday. And we're here talking instead with Kat Scott, District 5 legislator, newly elected to the Sullivan County Legislature. Thanks again for joining us today. Uh, and we're talking about the resiliency plan that the uh, Metropolitan uh, Urban Design Workshop 
uh, presented to the legislature as part of a plan to to tackle this issue of resiliency in the county. Uh, it's a 36-page uh, document, which is available publicly at resilientsullivan.com. As you scroll through, we've talked a few of, about a few of the areas, uh, housing, farming. Uh, there's also food jobs and health services. But utilities, there's a whole section on utilities and threats and talking about some of the stuff we just know and deal with all the time when there's there's bad weather, frequent power outages. Uh, there's uh, also then gaps in Internet coverage and dead zones. Uh, you know, I drive through this one section of Jeffersonville. And if I'm on the phone, I'm like, I'm going to lose you. 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 <laughs> and it's literally like what would be like maybe two city blocks. It's, uh, yeah. So there, there isn't a single citizen in Sullivan County that does not feel that pain at some point or another, <laughs> um, especially on the western end of the county. And, and these are really uh, big issues, right? Like it, we kind of laugh like, oh, there's a little bit of a dead zone. But along the river corridor, there's a lot of dead zone. And one of the things that we've seen over the you know recent years, especially um because COVID drove so many people up here was we've seen a lot of drownings in the river. And one of the problems is if you don't have cell service, how can you call for emergency services? So, you know, having these dead zones, um, uh, really have big impacts. Like at my house, if I didn't have Wi-Fi at my house, I would not have phone service. Mm-hmm. Um, so when the internet's out, I don't have the ability to call 911. Um, but growing up in the 70s over there in Fremont, you know, that's just what we called Wednesday. So, you know, I just go back to my my childhood. But, you know, these utilities um, and and when we're talking about a resiliency planning, you know, we're looking at extreme weather conditions. We have seen this happen in 2008. The poor folks um, in Berryville in March, we got hit with a nor'easter and they were throughout power for about three weeks. And then in June, uh, I'm sorry, May, we had another extreme weather situation that led to a tornado, I think a few tornadoes, straight winds, and um, I think there was a microburst throughout our area of northern, northeastern Pennsylvania and Sullivan County. And again, these poor people were without power for about a month. Um, you know, when you think about that, how do you live without electricity for a month? You know, that's your water. That's, you know, in March, that was your heat. You know, that that's, you know, how do you survive? So, you know, these are really big issues. Um, so I was really happy that they broke this all down um, because you cannot fix a problem if you don't know what the problems are, right? You have to diagnose it before you can treat it. And I think they did a really great job with that. And I just want to point out also, I am so in love with the name of this website. And I think that this is something that we should start referring to ourselves as Resilient Sullivan, because we are a resilient people. We are a resilient community. Um, I just love that. I, I just really think it sets such a great tone. Um, but yes, uh, they, they did outline, um, some vulnerabilities and, and some of the things that we need to do to address that. And, you know, we've known about these things for a while, as you've said, you know, the dead zones, uh, lack of broadband services, and folks have been hearing about this getting tackled for a long time. And, you know, we're seeing it diagnosed again, but, you know, I think some folks are probably thinking, well, what are they going to do about it and when? What are we going to do about it and when? I'm glad you asked that um, to me on today, January 26th, on my 23rd day of being a legislator. (laughs) Um, Fair enough. (laughs) uh, Well, if I had all the answers, I would be highly suspect of myself. Um, (laughs) Again, you know, you look at what the vulnerabilities are, you look at um, what the need is, and then you look at what you can do. 
right? Um, so, and that's what part of this report is, is um, recommendations on how to address, you know, where do we need additional cell towers? How can we get them there? What What is it going to take to do that? Um, sometimes what you have to do is you have to come up with the solution and then work backwards, right? Like this is what we really need to do, but how do we make that happen? Because unfortunately, sometimes in the how is where things kind of fall apart. Um, so yeah, that's what we have to do is we have to look into this and, and I encourage people to continue to tune into our committee meetings. Um, because we are going to talk about these things or or attend the meetings. Oh, please come. I love when the public comes to a meeting. That's how I got started in all of this. I, I went to a meeting. I didn't like what I found. So I kept going to more meetings when you're in the room, you can feel the energy of the room. And when you make public comment and take it from somebody who is a seasoned public commenter, (laughs) you can affect some of the outcome, right? You can affect how people discuss a resolution or vote on a resolution. So I always encourage people to come out. Another one of the threats mentioned in the resilientsullivan.com website at the website with this resiliency plan is water infrastructure. Uh, There's a mix of municipal and private systems, a fluctuating water table and an aging infrastructure. So there's, there's a, there's a plan to, to tackle that as well. Yes. So this is a discussion to talk. This is a discussion. Um, this is a concern of mine and some of my fellow legislators because we can't live without water. It's just a necessary resource. And, you know, I always find it, um, interesting that we live in an area where we feed one of the largest populations, populated cities in America. We feed them their water and they get clean, beautiful, wonderful water from us. So um, right now, uh, the county through our planning department has money and a path forward for a potable and wastewater uh, infrastructure study, right? So we're going to be looking at all of that. Um, One of the things that I would like to see us do and um, we're going to have a larger discussion about this at our next planning, real property and economic development committee, which will be Thursday, February 1st at 10 a.m. for anyone who wants to come or watch. Um, we need to access a scope of work to investigate groundwater resources here. Um, we There's a lot of people who want to come in and develop, right? There's a lot of development projects that are in the works. We have to have a better understanding of what water we have and how development can impact surrounding homes and businesses. And one of the things talking to Heather Brown again, um, that I encourage folks to do is look at your zoning, right? Look at your, your planning and you're on the town level, look at your planning and your zoning, because you want to know, is there, um, something in there that if somebody wants to come in and put in a development, do they have to do a hydraulic study, right? The burden should be on the person coming in to develop, you know, Make sure that that's written somewhere. Um, and I encourage anyone in your community to understand your town zoning and planning because you want to make sure that your town is developing that's sustainable and organic to the community that you're in. Because if, if you don't see that, then you should be able to provide feedback to your town representatives. And as somebody who's an elected representative, as somebody who's gone to a lot of meetings on the town level, villages and county, most of the time, these folks want to hear from you, right? We serve our community and we want our community to be happy. So provide that feedback. Well, and also at resilientsullivan.com, it's not just a presentation, it's interactive. The, yes. the um, MUD workshop has set up two interactive online tools to collect 
the insights of residents. So at the website, which is resiliencesullivan.com, you got that overview of all the issues and a set of town and village fact sheets, which we've kind of talked about. If you go to the engage tab that's there, that provides that baseline information about all of the communities. But then there's a connect tab, and that's where they want residents to provide feedback. And then, as you said, steer these leaders toward uh, additional important information that may not be there. And I encourage people to go to this website because they have it broken down, the municipality fact sheet by township. Yeah, you can go to your town or village. You can go to your town and you can get... This, some of these statistics and some of their findings, uh, which is very specific to your township. Well, it says also you could go down to a specific property or street intersection as well. So it's very uh, in-depth, very interactive. Again, it's resiliencesullivan.com. It's the resilience, resiliency planning process. Uh, and then that's coming from the planning and community development folks. Uh, as we mentioned, more information about that at uh, SullivanNY.us or just directly at that website, resiliencesullivan.com. Before we go, Kat, just a few minutes left. I wanted to just... Uh, um, ask you about another thing that happened at the legislature yesterday, the Human Rights Commission. Uh, there were some speakers about that or a speaker about that. And then we've talked about that here with Dan, too. Uh, I think the last thing we heard was that the the new legislature, again, your 23rd day, uh, is <laughs> committed to, you know, filling that role of the commissioner that had had departed a while ago. And so what's going on there now? What can you tell us? When the former commissioner, I believe she was a director. Director, um, sorry. I, I said commissioner as well. Um, and because Adrian Jensen was an incredible, um, director. She worked very hard. And, and when she chose to part ways with the county, she came to a meeting and she provided feedback on some of the challenges that she had and gave some recommendations. Um, one of the recommendations was that um, this was a part-time position. I think it was at 28 hours a week. And she was, she was really doing more than 40 hours a week because she was very dedicated. And, and I believe this is a position that deserves to be a full-time position. Um, when you're talking about human rights, um, and housing is an issue that comes up quite a bit. And I believe she provided that feedback with human rights. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about human rights, you want to do it well. You want to do it right. So to me, I don't think that we have a human rights commission just to say we have a human rights commission. We give them the resources and we give the director the resources that they need to do what needs to be done. Um, and we need to figure that out. We need to flesh that out because um, that's what the Sullivan County community deserves. They deserve to have a place to go when they feel like their rights have been violated because human rights I mean, they're human rights. This is a very basic thing. Um, when a human, when a human being feels like their rights have been violated on that level, your government should be there to, you know, help you, support you. Um, so that's what we need to look at is how, how can we create, um, a better working environment and how do we resource this so that it is an, a, a, you know, a better, more fleshed out thing. All right, we've been talking to Kat Scott, District 5 legislator, who's been filling in for Dan Hoost, who's the communications director at Sullivan County Government. He's on vacation. She's filling in to give us a little snapshot of what's going on, actually a big snapshot of what's going on in at least this resiliency planning, which is a Mm -hmm. big topic. 
coming out of uh, Monticello. And again, the website is resilientsullivan.com. Yes. And what I want to say is that, you know, when we're talking about these problems, remember that anything that's wrong with Sullivan County can always be solved with everything that's right about Sullivan County. We are a resilient people. We are resourceful. And we've always been people who have taken care of each other. So, you know, don't get down, folks. Um, we are the heroes that we need. So <laughs> can sit, continue to be resilient, continue to pay attention and uh, always reach out to me or any of your legislators to, you know, have a conversation about any of your concerns or questions, or, you know, maybe you have an idea on how to solve some of these things. And you can find uh, the contact information for all of the legislators at SullivanNY.us. Kat Scott, District 5 Legislator for Sullivan County. Thanks so much for joining us today on Day 23. Good luck on Day 24. Thank you, Tim Bruno from (laughs) Radio Catskill. I appreciate it. All right, we'll take a break. And when we come back, our Women in Business series continues. It's a conversation with Mick of Mick's Barbershop. We'll be right back. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty, host of On Point. Each hour of On Point is a journey to help make complicated issues understandable. Every issue brings more questions, like how did we get here? Why is this happening? And what does it mean? And how do we fix it? So let's figure this out and make sense of the world together. Join me weekday mornings at 11 here on Radio Catskill. This music can reach further than we've ever imagined into worlds that have so little to do with our culture, the culture of Ashkenazi Jews. The music transcends. It takes hold. Someone hears it, falls in love with it. That, that's why I'm so happy to share this with you. I'm Aaron Bendich, and I play a selection of Jewish recordings on Borscht Beat on Radio Catskill. Sunday afternoon at 1. You're listening to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. Our Women in Business series continues highlighting local women entrepreneurs, speaking about their lives and experiences, forging a successful path in their chosen career. Michelle Frigoletto, she's Mick of Mick's Barbershop. That's her nickname. And that's on Main Street in Honesdale. And someone in her family has been cutting hair on Main Street in Honesdale since 1890. This is our conversation. Yeah, um, someone in my family has been cutting hair on Main Street in Honesdale since 1890. Wow. I have some pictures in my barbershop of the history, and the one is dated 1894. But uh, we have been in the location we're at uh, for 58 years. That's amazing. Yes, I started with my dad and my uncle in 1990, and it was very difficult because the men coming in is, oh, my gosh, there's a woman in the barbershop. <laughs> and it was hard at first because they just, you know, weren't used to that. Um, but I slowly won them over. <laughs> so you you grew up with this. You were you were there. I did. I would sit on the the stone wall here in the barbershop in front in the front uh, window, and I would watch my dad and my uncle, and just amazed at how many people knew them and how many people they knew, and just the conversations. It really wasn't so much about the haircut. I mean, that happened. It was all of the talking and all of the community, just the feeling of it. And people would come and go and then they'd bring their kids in and then they'd bring their grandkids in. And I mean, if these walls could talk, (laughs) you know, and I just was so grateful to be present for that because it just really um, 
made me want to do that. I just wanted to be a part of it, the, the part of the hum of the community. Growing up there, did you ever think you'd be taking over one day? Oh, gosh, not when I was a little girl. No, I wanted I kind of wanted to strike out on my own. I would, I had a cosmetology license and I was going to show them that. I, and I did. I worked five years in a salon um, in the um, JCPenney styling salon. And I was one of the, uh, her really good work. Best girls, she told me when I left. She was horrified that I was leaving. And I just thought, you know what? I want to come back to my hometown. I, I had just had my daughter and I just wanted to raise her in a place where that was home to me. So my husband and I moved back here when she was three years old, and um, she now owns a business on Main Street. So it's funny how, you know, we all come back kind of like to where we know and where we're comfortable, you know, to raise our families. So, yeah, it's um, it's been uh, quite a ride. <laughs> You talk about encountering folks, customers coming in when you were there uh, for starting out, uh, maybe a little sexism there. How did you disarm yes. them? How did you combat that? Um, it was difficult because my father thought in his own mind, she's got to handle this on her own. And I did. I, you know, I, I tried to be sweet. And sometimes I, I didn't. Sometimes I just kind of let them know, look it. You might talk to your wife like that at home, but you're not talking to me like that. <laughs> I mean, some things, I mean, I had to show them there was a new sheriff in town. <laughs> so, do, you, do you remember anybody particularly uh, memorable in that regard? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And I won't use names. He wanted a particular man barber and um, he wasn't there. His wife had died. And I said, you're going to have to wait for when he comes back. And he called me some expletives. And I said, listen, you're going to leave because you're not going to talk to me like that. And you're not welcome back here. So when the gentleman came in who was going to cut his hair, I, I put the $10 or whatever the price of the haircut was on the counter. And I said, here's the haircut for this gentleman's hair. He's no longer welcomed in my shop. And so then that was it. But then this gentleman tried to come back in and he sat and waited 45 minutes for Bob to cut his hair. And then when it was his turn, I said, wait a minute, you weren't nice to me the last time you were in here. You either apologize or you're leaving. And then he finally turned red and said, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I said, because I can't have people calling me up mm -mm, when they come in the shop. And I said, you better be on your best behavior when you come in here or you're not welcome. And then that was it. And he came in a couple more times and then he stopped coming in. I don't know what happened to him. God, God rest his soul because, but it was funny. I thought, I, I'm not going to put up with that. I'm sorry. My husband doesn't talk to me like that. And I'm, yeah, you certainly aren't. So, yeah, <laughs> that was the one memorable thing. Your given name is Michelle, but everyone calls you Mick. It's Mick's Barbershop. Yes. How did Mick, the nickname, come about? Well, my dad, when I was little, he always called me his little Mickey. And I figured that when I was taking over, my husband, who is the design guru of my um, branding, said, why don't we drop the I and just have it Mick's 
so that it's more gender neutral, so that people who do, who might have an issue, would come in and see the shop and see your work and meet you and just be charmed. And so that's what we did. And you took over... And, I, and I've been going ever since. And when did you take over from your dad? When did he retire? Um, they, uh, He and my uncle both really wanted to retire. And so they, um, they both left in 2004. Um, my dad would come back in the mornings just to make sure everything was going well. And then he did retire in 2006 because he had open heart surgery and he wanted to do other things. But he did come back and he was 88 years old when I had my breast cancer in 2017. And he would open up the shop with the girls and just get things going and then bring me the mail and tell me who he saw to try to cheer me up. But um, yeah, he was he came back when he was 88. And uh, we just lost him last year. He was 93. So um, he was very proud of me, he told me. (laughs) So that was nice. um, But I knew it. I could tell. You mentioned your breast cancer. It has been part of your life. Uh, You've survived it. I understand that there's a recurrence. Yes, I'm I'm now an active metastatic. So, you know, I do what I can. I come in because it really gives me energy. I'm here about two days a week and people can call the shop to make appointments because I'm the only one that shaves. So I'm hoping people will get their Valentine gift certificate for one of my fabulous spa shaves. <laughs> um, but yeah, I it, people give me energy and it's good for me. It's good for my health. It gives me joy. And that's what I'm doing right now is I'm filling my life with things that matter and people that matter. So um, joy is on the top of the list. You took this original diagnosis and created a fundraiser, Buzz Off Cancer, to just convert this into something more positive. Can you talk a little bit about that? You raised a lot of money. Yeah, well, we started the Buzz Off in 2011, actually. And every other year we had one. And I had the Buzz Off in June, and then I was diagnosed in August which was a real blow because here I was raising cancer funds, you know, never thinking that I would ever have cancer. And um, we did have another one in 2019 and it was really nice to get back to it. Um, And then COVID hit. And then I've just been concentrating on my health and my family and just trying to um, stay alive, you know, because the metastatic is, it is a full-time job. Um, to every all the doctor's appointments and all the health um, things that you have to do should keep your body in good shape to handle the medicine. So, um, yeah, I exercise a lot more than I ever thought I would. <laughs> <laughs> but they say it's good for my health, so I'm going to continue. <laughs> your personality and your joy just comes right through. I'm, you know, we don't, we're not looking at each other now. I'm just listening to you and folks listening to you right now are hearing this joy. But, you know, during this time, how do you, how do you manage that? What, what is it that motivates you? Oh, God. Um, people, they inspire me. I just, you know, I, uh, I, I have, my circle has gotten smaller uh, with people that I allow in it, but everybody who I have in my circle that's, that's um, cheering for me, um, I just, I feel joy and love from them and that can only bring me to a wonderful place in my life with all the, you know, the stress of going through this. I just, and that's why I come to work. People come in. I have people who just stop in. Oh my gosh, she's here. And they give me a hug and then they go on with their day. I mean, why, how could I not want to come to work? 
you really continue to maintain this institution of this barbershop and, and now mix barbershop on Main Street. Like you said, this community hub, this place. Yes. Yes, where people can meet. And they tell me about their cancer struggles and we talk and we commiserate together and we give each other tips on how we manage. And um, yeah, it's um, it's just good to be there for each other. You know, good humans are still out there. There are a lot of great historical photos on your website, mixbarbershop.com. And one that kind of strikes me is something we've been talking about with you and your family. I think it's, it's your dad and uncle and there's a third gentleman. You're in the middle and it just kind of represents yeah, the. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bob, I, I'm trying to think. Gosh, I was probably 27 in that picture. <laughs> I was a youngster. Yeah, but they took me in and, and I, I learned an awful lot from them. I learned an awful lot from them, um, and I'm uh, grateful, you know, um, to have, you know, um, inherited the legacy of uh, Bill and Jim's Barbershop, and I brought it to that next level. So You're keeping on, and um, what do you want folks yes, to... Yes, and I'm keeping on, keeping on. What do you want folks to, to know about, you know, Mixed Barbershop in the community there? Um... Gosh, you know, it's funny how people are just walk, they walk on the street and they pop in their heads or we're out, you know, watering the flowers or whatever. And they'll ask us, everybody comes to the barbershop to see what's new in town. So if you ever want to know anything, come to the barbershop because <laughs> we usually know. And if we don't know, we will find out for you. <laughs> I'm going to send some of our <laughs> news producers over there. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I have flyers and People give me maps to their, you know, hiking things. And we, you know, I had some people um, yesterday that they, they were Airbnb in, in Holly and they wanted to know about these different stores and where was a good hike. And, you know, and I shook their hands and it was like I was like the, um, I don't know, not the mayor. I don't want to say that, but I was like the tour guide. And it was so fun. I just love talking to people. I also see all this picture of you online, too, wearing this necklace that says, be kind. I think that just sort of oh. represents you and who your, yes, your energy does. and who you are. It really does. We are welcoming. We are inclusive to all people. You know, it doesn't matter who you love or who you are or what gender you are or not. You know, we just welcome everybody because everybody has a place at the table. You know, I wrap up these interviews by telling people who we've been talking to, and I always use their first and last name, but I don't think I've ever called you Michelle. (laughs) Yeah, but that is my birth name, but you can call me Mick. I don't care. I go by anything. Well, we've been talking to... don't call me late for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) We've been talking to Michelle Frigoletto, Mick, from Mick's Barbershop in Honesdale. Mick, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thanks so much, Tim. I really appreciate it. You have a great day. And uh, you're listening to Radio Chatskill. I'm Tim Bruno. We're going to stay in Honesdale down the Yellow Brick Road to Honesdale High School. They're presenting The Wizard of Oz, President's Day weekend coming up. It's a faithful adaptation of the Royal Shakespeare Company's production featuring all of the beloved songs and moments from the 1939 classic film. Valerie Manzi spoke to Scott Miller, executive director of the Honesdale Performing Arts Center on the campus of Honesdale High School. Hello, Scott, and welcome to Radio Chat Skill. Thank you for having me. You have a big undertaking going on, and that is 
the production of The Wizard of Oz over at the Honesdale High School Performing Arts, where you're executive director for many, many years. Tell us about this project. Well, this is our 10th year in a major, uh, we just had a multi-million dollar renovation of our theater. And we're excited to welcome the community back to our theater. This has been completely redone. And for the for 65 years, we've been putting on plays and musicals at the Honesdale High School. So this is an opportunity for, for us to really showcase the, the community and give back to the community with a great family show. The Wizard of Oz is a timely tale. It's celebrating its 85th anniversary yes. this year. And it is spectacular that we have a cast that has just lined up to fulfill every character you can imagine. So we hope to bring the movie to life on stage. How wonderful. That is really quite an endeavor. And everybody seems to love The Wizard of Oz. They do. And it's of all ages. You know, we always see in the classic musical fantasy tale of The Wizard of Oz. Uh, Danielle Gager is a senior who plays our Dorothy Gale. And she's a young Kansas farm girl who dreams of a land somewhere over the rainbow. Yes. And maybe in some fashions of her own life she does a little bit too Uh, but it's phenomenal to see her expertise and leadership come through as they start in sixth grade producing musicals and working with me and we mount some pretty monstrous shows to be able to by the time they're seniors pull off a show like wizard of oz and we have many Special effects going to be happening in the show. We won't give them all away, but we've partnered with some um, high-capacity New York companies to help us along the way. Wonderful. And what kind of improvements uh, have happened there at uh, the Performing Arts? So at our Performing Arts Center, we it was the original building from 1959. We gutted it and put all new seating in, all new lighting, sound, and rigging. And really made it a 21st century theater. So it can still be used as a classroom for an auditorium style engagement for the community, uh, but go as far as a pure performing arts center, which we are so excited to have in our community of Honesdale. And I bet the students are too. They are. And the funny thing about the students is they absolutely love this. And so many students you may not even think of being on stage audition and come out whether they're on stage they could be backstage running the soundboard light board there's so many opportunities in theater and we have found that our school community has really engaged in that our past middle school production of newsies that we just did 50 percent of the kids in the school were actually in the cast and crew wonderful very proud of that from dancing to being backstage. So it's really an opportunity to make new friends and learn the whole theater process. So it isn't really just for a select few. No, it's really not. And we've had students go on to become professionals now under my tenure. And uh, it's exciting to go over to New York and see some of their names uh, in playbills now. How wonderful. So it's, it's definitely an experience for them. And maybe the students don't go on to theater and they may become uh, a news writer or talk show host, but it just gives them that energy to get in front of an audience 
to actually perform and not worry about their self-consciousness and to build that confidence in themselves. Or just as a very positive, constructive learning experience in their life. Absolutely. And we've found that we treat, my fellow directors and I, we treat this as an entire family where each student gets to know each other. Some may not know each other at the beginning, but by the end, we've all become this crazy Knitwitted family that looks out for each other. And even throughout the school year, they'll still talk and still be friends. And it really bonds them. Uh, and something that's very hard to explain unless you actually live through it. Yeah. Well, I've dabbled a little bit in acting myself up here, actually, with the Liberty Free Theater. And I understand that collaborative nature of theater, as well as the bonds that get built. Mm -hmm. And that's the big, that's a big factor when you can put on a show and bringing everyone together that's not necessarily, they may not know each other. Yes. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, 12 weeks down the road and we're producing a full mass scale musical production and to see the pit come together, we have a, a group of wonderful uh, professional pit musicians that play right next to our own, very own students. So it's like a collaborative um, teaching moment for them to learn some of the scores and everything that they do. Cause this is original from the 1930s orchestras. Um, and it's definitely, it's exciting, but it's very difficult because some of the, way the key structures are or the notes are written are a lot different than today's music. Interesting. Yes, things do change, and we don't always know that until you're in dealing with the nitty-gritty mm -hmm. of it all. Now, what are the dates? So the dates for our show are Friday, February 16th, and Saturday, at February 17th, at 7 o'clock curtain, and that's nightly. Uh, we have a Sunday matinee on February 6th. I'm sorry, February 18th at 2 o'clock. And our tickets are available on our website at honesdalepac.com. And as well as our box office at 570-251-9831, where you can call and order your tickets over the phone. Okay. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add? I'll just that it's an all-star cast that introduces our uh, sixth through 12th graders because Wizard of Oz does have little munchkins. So yes. uh, we have select uh, junior high schoolers coming up to be with the high schoolers in this production to give us that height definition a little ways when we uh, go over the rainbow and uh, go visit the the Wizard of Oz. So we have a, a ton of featured dancers and Actors will just knock your socks off. What we hope you do is you walk in. Uh, we partner with Playbill in New York for our theater. So you get a Playbill when you walk in. It's your reserve seat. You sit down in front of our big main red drape and wait for the magic of theater to happen. Wow. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. I feel like I'm back in New York again. Yeah. And we oh. hope hope to bring people through the community. This is a student Broadway version of our productions. Well, wonderful. And thank you again for coming in. Well, thank you so much. 
Valerie Manzi speaking to Scott Miller, Executive Director of the Honesdale Performing Arts Center on the campus of Honesdale High School about their production of The Wizard of Oz coming up President's Day weekend. That's all for this edition of Radio Chatskill. Reminder, you can hear uh, all of our women in business interviews from our special series this week at our website, wjffradio.org. I'm Tim Bruno. Thanks for listening. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. I heard of once in a lullaby Somewhere Support for Radio Catskill comes from JeffWorks Office Solutions, located right on Main Street in Jeffersonville, New York, a newly renovated pet-friendly office space that rents by the day, week, or month with hot desks, sound-insulated rooms, Wi-Fi, modern amenities, and 24-hour secure access. Online at jeffworksjville.com and from The Cooperage Project, thecooperageproject.org. And listeners like you who donate at wjffradio.org. I'm Stephen Dubner. On the next Freakonomics Radio, there is a lot of misconduct among academic researchers, even fraud. Can it be stopped? Identifying the problem is not the same thing as changing our practices. And how does scientific fraud become big business? Publishers earn more from publishing more. It's a volume play. That's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Tuesday at 1 p.m. on Radio.